Welcome to episode 102 of Crack the Customer Code. This episode is brought to you by Audible. With more than 180,000 titles, you can listen to all those books you've been meaning to read. We know we all have stacks of books. Listeners of this podcast can receive a 30-day free trial to experience for themselves. Sign up at audible.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and here I am yet again with my co-host and the chic of successful service, Adam Toporek. Adam, how are you? I am wonderful. I'm a chic now. Well, I just flew yes. in on my private jet, <laughs> and I am here for the podcast. Awesome. We're so happy that you could make time for the little people. <laughs> uh, so we've got a great topic today. We're going to be discussing employee engagement, and we have a very engaging guest, our buddy Jim Rembach, who has a great mm -hmm. podcast called The Fast Leader Show. But before we get to that, Jeannie, I know you like to talk. <laughs> what do you have to say? Oh, goodness. Well, I do like to talk. And in fact, I'm speaking to groups all over the globe on topics like empathy and patient experience and how to be your own customer experience investigator so you can truly walk in your customer's shoes. I'd love to speak for your organization or conference. Find out more and see my TEDx talk at 360connects.com slash speaking. That's 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T.com slash speaking. And we have new sponsorship packages which could help your message be heard. Check them out and join us at crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. That is crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor. And... Adam, you mentioned that Jim is a friend of ours. We've known him for a while. He's really one of the experts in employee engagement, emotional intelligence, and servant leadership. And we're really, really lucky to have him with us today. And don't forget, as I mentioned, he's also a podcaster. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's had at least two amazing guests. Uh, <laughs> one was named Adam, and the other one was named uh, Shep. Oh, I mean Jeannie. <laughs> oh, snap. Uh -huh. Now, Shep was on there. He was amazing, by the way, as always. Of course. Of course. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, his Fast Leader Show is great. And it's really a fun way to engage with people on a different on a different level. He asks great questions about how people have made the decisions that, that have helped them become leaders and so many insights. And he shares a lot of that with us today as well. So we get some of those insights from the show in this episode. So it's like a two for one or 12 for one. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> 12 for one. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's tell you a little bit about Jim. Jim Rembach is a strategic and tactical advisor and coach who specializes in using analytics for leadership, organization development, employee engagement, and customer engagement to improve customer experiences. Jim is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner, empathy mapping expert, a certified contact center auditor, an even better place to work certified expert, say that three times fast, and an employee retention specialist. Jim holds a U.S. trademark for the servant teamwork leadership and organizational transformation methodology. Jim is a speaker and author of nine books on contact center quality, employee engagement, customer experience, and leadership development. I could go on. He has a tremendous bio, but he is also in charge of his most rewarding and challenging job, which is being a father to his 12, 10, and 7-year-olds and a husband to his wife of 22 years, Anne. And join us in welcoming Jim Rembach. Well, hi, Jim. We're so happy to have you here with us today. 
Oh, I am too. It's. Uh, I almost want to say, are you ready to hoe down? But no, it's not my show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can if you want. We'll we'll go with it. <laughs> we love the we love the hoe down. The hoe down is always yeah. welcome here. <laughs> Well, this is really fun because I think we've all known each other for a while, but haven't necessarily had the opportunity to really dig into the work that you do. Uh, and so I'm really excited to learn more about it. And one of the things that I know you base a lot of your work on is this premise that improved employee engagement means an improved customer experience. And we hear this over and over and over again. And there are examples like Zappos out there of why you have to make it a great place to work to get that type of result. But I'm curious, because we hear that a lot, what are the specific reasons you connect a better workplace with a better customer experience? I, I you know, for me, I'd have to say the first, you know, point of evidence uh, is really what I lived through. I mean, I started, you know, my career in, in retail I actually graduated with a double major in finance and real estate, but when I graduated, it was another recession, so I didn't have the opportunity to go into investment banking, which is where my original path and, and how I wanted it to go, you know, from a career perspective, it, I mean, it just didn't happen, so I got diverted. And so for me, I had some mentors at an early part of my career that were very much command and control driven. I mean, it was my way, highway, it, you know, and there was no gray area. And so for me, I kind of adapted that type of, you know, you know, practice and, and started building skills and, you know, that command and control. I mean, I worked in an environment that it was primarily men uh, for retail. And so needless to say, uh, you know, the, the softer side, the softer skills, uh, you didn't need those a whole lot when you were in a command and control environment with a bunch of men. It was bark and order, get it done. You know, you didn't do it. Now there's a consequence and the consequences were always negative. Uh, and so I, you know, even though we had a commitment to the customer and it was all about the customer and we had pledges and everything else to talk about the customer, we'd throw employees under the bus in a heartbeat, you know, to, to, and sacrifice them to serve a customer. And, and that, you know, for me, that was one of those situations where, and the way I was brought up and really the way that I am inside, I just, you know, it just didn't always, it just didn't fit right. I mean, yes, I adapted. And I excelled in the environment, matter of fact. Um, it just was one of those things to where it just never felt comfortable. And so I've had the opportunity to get out of that organization. I did. And I, I got into an organization where I flip-flopped and now was responsible for managing a lot of females in the work environment. And this was a call center, a contact center environment. And let me tell you what, I, I, in the first 90 days of my job, I probably ticked off more women than I had ever met in my life. I mean, I, I was ticking off people by just being networking, right? And I, I just didn't know why. And so I, I you know, came, finally, you know, I had some good mentors, what it comes down to, um, who, you know, shared with me that, I, you know, my style that I have a, had adapted um, is not going to work in this environment. And the reality is, though, that was the characteristics and the skills. And what I really wanted was to have the environment where I could reveal my heart. Because, I mean, you know, I, I'm a big guy, but, you know, I'm tenderhearted. And I just had the opportunity to have my eyes opened and realize that it is a situation where having a good inside helps and impacts the outside. So... Mm -hmm. 
I, for the past 15 years, even though I've been working for a company that uh, is responsible for measuring the customer experience, my personal development I have invested in in all of the employee engagement and really human engagement, uh, you know, learning. And so I, I just feel that I'm finally in a place where I understand myself better, I understand others better, and I'm using that for the greater good. That's also, awesome. Also, there's another thing, too, that I, I'm also one of those people that likes to deal with absolutes, uh, meaning that show me the evidence, right? And when you start looking at the evidence out there in, re in regards to employee engagement statistics, and I put together a, a, an ebook that has 99 of them, but when you look at and you can download it at beyondmorale.com, it's easy access um, in the resource center. But most of those statistics and their case study statistics really reveal that having higher employee engagement really leads to higher profits, uh, leads to reduced co operating costs, uh, and and as part of actually that whole referral and loyalty concept that we're always trying to drive for. I mean, that's what it does. It's an absolute. We don't really need to spend a whole lot of time talking about it and convincing people. I mean, it's there. You either do it or you don't. And that's fascinating. One of the things I know you and, have, you and I have talked about uh, previously, Jim, is how much we've learned in the past 20 years about how human brains work and how – people respond emotionally and so much of the data and evidence that's there. And you're talking about, you know, how you had grown through this. And I think anybody that's been in the workforce for you know, more than a couple of decades has really seen the landscape change. And you talked about diversity and how that's changed, command and control, employee engagement. And one of the things that's changed is understanding that things like IQ and SAT scores and GPAs have a you know limited relevance or you know have only a specific relevance and one of the things that's come through obviously in the past few years is the idea of emotional intelligence and it's a term that's tossed around a lot in today's world uh, a genie uses it because she says I have none that's true <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know it's really uh, it's in vogue and for good reason so how do you suggest we improve emotional intelligence in our organizations well, I mean, to be honest, you, what, what you're asking is, is really a, a multi-pronged and multifaceted approach. And, and you can, I mean, there are frameworks to be able to help do that. But I think the first thing is just to acknowledge that customer experiences are all about emotion. Emotions cause us to cry when our kids are born, when they graduate, when they get married. Emotions cause us to mourn when we lose a friend or loved one. Emotions cause us to cheer for our favorite team and cry when they lose. And emotions really cause us to pay more attention, you know, to, for a product or, or pay more for a product, you know, because it comes from a company we like. Emotions cause us to refuse to do business with a company and tell our friends to never go there. I mean, emotions drive revenues and profits or bankruptcies. So for your audience, you know, I would suggest that they start really right from where they are. Learn about the 54 emotional intelligence competencies. Um, most people know about empathy and they heard a lot about empathy, but that's only one of the 54 competencies. So, I mean, if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'll send them the, the complete list of the 54 competencies. Uh, and there's, and there's only one Jim Rimbach on LinkedIn. You don't have to worry about sorting. Um, but the <laughs> other thing, the other thing is to add, I would add empathy mapping to your CX activities. Most people are familiar with journey mapping. 
But that's not the right tool to connect with the emotions of your customers. Neither is just building a persona. You've got to go deeper than that. You need empathy mapping to do that. And you can go to empathymapping.com and learn more about that. But empathy mapping really starts looking at how people are actually absorbing really the things that are around them and what they actually do when they internalize those things. And I was working with a group, and we conducted an empathy mapping workshop after they did their journey mapping workshop. And one of the ladies says, she goes, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but we've never really thought about these things. And for the longest time, we've always said, and going back to trying to get ourselves away from that uh, command and control stuff, is that we were always told, you don't bring your emotions to work. Just get the job done. Well, that's, not, that's just not what happens. It's just not the way it works. And if we were in a, you know, the old industrial, you know, you know, build, you know, manufacturing, you know, you build this and that's what you're doing all day stuff, maybe you could have, you know, get away with that. But you can't do that anymore. I mean, we have knowledge workers. We have, you know, people who have to, you know, make, make decisions in a fluid and, and multifaceted and, you know, multi-complex, you know, environments with access to, you know, tons of information. And that just doesn't work anymore. So you have to really understand the whole emotional piece. Also, we have, quite frankly, generations of kids that are entering the workforce that really haven't been parented a whole lot. And so that adds a whole different dynamic. So there's a, and also when you start talking about social media and, the, and p- how people, you know, see evidence on being brazen and what that can do for you. And they, they set those people up on, you know, some admiration pedestal. You're like, yeah, I can just tell them like it is. No, that's not the way the world works. And believe me, as a father of a 12, 10 and seven year old, I battle against that. That's that social view. A lot. And I'm like, that's just not the way the world works. Yeah, but I saw it on YouTube. I I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That's always the best source to cite. (laughs) Absolutely. So there's there's a lot of things that, you know, are are really, you know, an opportunity, if if you want to say that. So organization to pull in the emotional intelligence in order to better inside and outside. So first of all, as a Chicago Cubs fan, I was sitting here thinking, what would the empathy map look like for my journey <laughs> with that team? Because it's a, it's truly a roller coaster. <laughs> um, but I love them always. Uh, it is. So- and I think that underdog passion, I mean, I grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Northwest Indiana, but I was a pale hose fan. Uh, that's White Sox for those that are familiar. <laughs> uh, and so when we won our World Series, and my brothers being, you know, all Cubs fans, and I have three of those brothers, uh, believe me, I had a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait. We will have our day. We will have our day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about a little bit about what you said about your first uh, workplace and how basically they, they talked about the customer. They had pledges about the customer. They... In, in all, you know, ways on paper, we're customer-centric. But what do you think are the most common themes of truly customer-centric cultures that, to your point, lift up emotion and employee engagement, but really are truly thinking about putting the customer first? Do you think there are common themes among those organizations? I do. And 
uh, gosh, I mean, it, it goes back to a word that I used a moment ago, and it's really human centric. Mm. Is that they, those organizations, the ones that we admire the most, uh, really, they don't have a delineation between, well, this is the agent or this is the employee experience and this is the customer experience. They look at the human experience. I mean, it's really a holistic view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the differentiator that I see that has also enabled many of those organizations to be able to sustain it. Because they're not, they're not throwing employees under the bus mm -hmm. to make sure that a customer is taken care of. And they're also you know, not, not, not rejecting and throwing customers on their bus in order to protect employees. I mean, mm -hmm. they just don't allow those things to happen. They look at it and say, okay, this is a person. Uh, I also, one of the things that I talk about is the big difference between diversity and difference management. There is a big difference between the two. Diversity has unfortunately become one of those tactics, really, um, that causes people to create yet more uh, groups of people that they can point fingers at, or those groups can point fingers at others. But difference management really looks at the individual. Well, you, you know, I think wisdom is always that you judge people by their individual characteristics, and you interact with people based on their individual characteristics, and... You know, part of the problems we have in this world are judging people based on groups and even well-intentioned or not well-intentioned. Yes. Um, so I think let's switch gears uh, for one last question here. And I want to take it over to your Fast Leader podcast. Uh, Jeannie and I both had the privilege of being interviewed by you. And it was fun. It was very fun. Hump Day Hoedown. People, if you have not <laughs> checked out the Hump Day Hoedown, you have to. It is awesome. And... One of the things you talk about, obviously, it's called Fast Leader, is you get a lot of wisdom and advice and different uh, viewpoints on leadership. So what are some of the pieces of advice that stood out uh, as you've done the Fast Leader podcast? You know, I, I can tell you that. Um, so for me, I know you guys uh, had just released your 100th episode, and congratulations on that. For me, Thank I you. do a weekly, and uh, I just released my 60th. So needless to say, congratulations. I've been congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I can, I mean, so for me, doing the, the podcast has been really one of my greatest personal development adventures. I've learned so much. I mean, it's, it's just been amazing. So everything from, you know, Leslie Lykins saying, you know, implement from their perspective to motivate them to get on board. And she's a former mm -hmm. naval officer. Uh, Kate Nasser, who said, somebody has a different view. Okay, but you don't have to fight them on it. You know, and it makes so sense. We don't have to battle. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Pelé Ubuaja, who said, everything you do creates a culture of success or failure. It's everything that you do. It's going to fall in one of those two areas. So what are you doing? You know, Carl Sharice, when he said, if you're not trying and failing, you're not learning. So it's okay to fail. Matter of fact, you may want to encourage failing because you're going to learn most when you do that. And Dave Rendell, who said, what makes us weird makes us wonderful. <laughs> I like that. I love that I like, one. It's so true. And so many times talking about that judging piece, Adam, you know, I judge, I used to judge people for their weirdness and say, oh, gosh, don't go near there. But now I'm actually attracted to those because I'm like, hmm, why is that? I want to mm -hmm. know. And then Jeannie Walters, who said, if you don't have anybody in the room <laughs> to look up to, then you have to be the one. Oh, good. <laughs> did I say that? You did. <laughs> Did I, did I give you that line, Jeannie? That sounds like a good one. 
And then Adam Park, who said, we need to get past our own mental blocks because it's the key to everything. Nice. Uh, nice. You. <laughs> nice. See, you're wise on his show. <laughs> <laughs> and then Louis Efron, who's the head of uh, employee engagement for Tesla Motors, said that everyone wants to go into an organization where you feel cared for. I mean, and I don't know anybody who would say no to that. Right. And right. we know that when we're part of those particular organizations, almost, almost by default, the customer gets taken care of. It doesn't come into question. It's just done. 100%. Wow. That is, that's the mic drop right there. Seriously. <laughs> well done, Jim. <laughs> excellent. Well, Jim, thank you so much. This has been excellent. We will make sure uh, we link up the show notes but uh, please for Fast Leader Podcast. But please tell our audience uh, where people can find you on the Internet. Oh, there's too many places. As I said, though, <laughs> Rimbach, the R-E-M-B-A-C-H, is a very unique last name. I mean, there's only like 10 or 12 Rimbachs uh, in North America, and most of them are my family members. So <laughs> if you put in Jim Rimbach, um, while I am Jim the second, uh, you're not going to find my father. I mean, he's just not on social <laughs> platform. Uh, so you can find me on all the major platforms, including the pl I mean, platforms for the Fast Leader Show. I mean, they're also on the social platform. So if, if you're on one, I probably am too. Awesome. Yeah, Walters, there's a different story with Walters. <laughs> there are a lot of us. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Jim. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. This was thank great, Jim. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, and I'm honored. We hope you enjoyed episode 102 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. Thanks to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. That is audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters. You can sign up for customer experience webinars at cxwebinar.com to learn more from me. And I'm Adam Tabor. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.